For those of you who remain, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. As we consider the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 16. This is God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, and to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about this eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe what this, your word, teaches about you. Lord, change us that we might not be those who grumble against you and begrudge your generosity. That we might be those who rejoice what our God is like. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been reading in the news lately that there's all this controversy about tipping, and I don't really care about it. It's, but it's interesting um, how we have these laws where some people, they don't get paid a decent wage because they have to make it up in tips. And it made me think, well, what, what's, what's the best I've ever even tipped anybody? What's the best you've ever tipped someone? When we were on our honeymoon in Texas, we stayed at this four-diamond hotel. I don't know what that means, but it was nice. And we went down for breakfast, and I was looking at the menu, and I didn't like any of the choices. I mean, they were nice, waffles, pancakes, all that. But I, like, all I really wanted was an English muffin and a bowl of fresh strawberries. And so the server came out, and I said, all I really want is this. Can you make it happen? And he goes back into the kitchen and he comes back with an English muffin and a bowl of fresh cut strawberries. I don't know. I don't know if they had the strawberries for something else and they were, and he just had to dice them up. I don't know if he had to run across the street to get them. I don't know, but he delivered and I don't know, 
I was feeling generous. I, I tipped him this enormous, it was like two or three times what the meal cost, just to thank him for being so kind to me. And so for the rest of the week, this guy was scrambling. What do you need? What can I do to help? Hoping to get another excellent tip. And, but it made him feel good, and it made me feel good, and I got a sermon illustration out of it. It was just a, just a wonderful thing. Well, in this parable, Jesus tells us about a landowner, a master of a vineyard, who is far more exorbitant in what he tips his workers. And it tells us something. Not about how we should do business, because if we're honest, this man's a terrible businessman. But Jesus isn't giving us this parable to teach us how to run a small business. He's teaching us about the kingdom of God and the character of the king. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So if we're going to understand more about the kingdom of God, if we're going to understand more about the character of God, we need to understand what this parable is teaching us about him. And so we're going to consider three things this morning. And the first is this. This parable teaches us that God has immense concern for calling people to himself. God has immense concern for calling people to himself. It's true today, and I'm not saying this is right, but we as a society and a culture have little regard for day laborers. And we're not unlike the ancient Near East in this. These were the people who couldn't hold down a steady job, who couldn't make it in the world in the ways that we as a culture expected of them. And, and day laborers were viewed then as now with some suspicion because you don't know who's going to be there, what kind of work are you going to get. I hired a guy one time years ago to install this three-panel door on our back deck uh, to, to lead out to the deck. I needed to replace the door. It was rotting. I hired a guy. I bought the door. He came out. He put it in. And I paid him, and that was fine. And like, I don't know, five years later, we're having nothing but trouble with the door. We were having some work done on the deck. I hired another crew. As they were taking off the the molding, they found that this door, this big, heavy, three-panel door, was held in with nothing but caulk. (laughs) So we replaced it and fixed it, and it worked flawlessly. I got a little skeptical about just hiring guys on somebody's recommendation. But then I did it again. I hired somebody else to do work on a different door another time. And they did an incredible job. Like they wouldn't stop. They weren't content just to install a new door. They were like, you know, what would really make this door look like it belonged here and wasn't just an extra addition or replacement was if we do this and we do that and we can paint this. And I'm like, let's do it. And it looks amazing. You just never know. This landowner who has the means and the resources to hire a permanent staff, like with background checks, tell tell me, like, whose son are you again? What's your experience in vineyard? This guy 
who has the ability to just lease out sections of his vineyard to people eager to work who will do all the work and then pay him a portion of the harvest. This landowner who could choose any normal, reliable way to make sure that his vineyard is run with with wisdom and with success decides what he's going to do is go out into the marketplace and go, hey, I don't know you. Come work in my vineyard. And not just once. He goes out and he hires a bunch of guys. And, he, and as he's strolling through the marketplace, he sees there's more. And he's like, I'm going to take you too. And he decides he's going to keep going back to check. Like, did he, is he too dumb to hire the right number of people the first time? What is going on? And this tells us something about God. This landowner isn't looking at the bottom line. He's going into the marketplace and he's seeing people who need to work, who need to belong to something, who have been left out. People. And he goes, why are you standing idle? Not because we want to. Nobody's hired us. We've been here all day begging for someone, anyone, to take an interest in us. And no one will have anything to do with us. And he's like, I'll take you. He takes them all, every single one, even up to the 11th hour, because his concern isn't just for his vineyard, but that he might use his vineyard to make all of the people and the whole culture around him better, because his concern isn't just for grapes or wines, but is for people. This is what our God is like. He's not just busying himself with getting heaven just right. He's not just busying himself with structuring and ordering the nations of the world. He is busying himself with calling people into his kingdom, into his family, adopting them into his very household. And all kinds of people. Not the sort of people that would pass your background checks. Not the kind of people that that have a, a long history of reliability in the vineyard industry. He's calling all kinds of people into his family, into his kingdom. And he doesn't care if it costs extra. He doesn't care if it measures up to best practices. His concern is for people and bringing them in. When we think about what it means to be called a Christian, to be called by God's name, to be a part of his household and his family, are his values reflected in our own? Do we reflect this same concern for people? I mean, it's, it's, it's written down in our vision for ministry. It's, it's our philosophy for how we go about doing things. Our vision statement is to engage people with the truth of Jesus through a loving community. We want to, to be a church where people are important and they're invited in to be a part of that community of faith and that fellowship of God's people. But is it just words? 
Or do we truly reflect this same concern for people? Or maybe we've fallen into the trap of thinking about kingdom work and kingdom affairs in, in ways that, that make us busy constructing programs or, or, or busy uh, uh, worrying about uh, political agendas and, 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 or, or social policies Rules and structures and frameworks and programs or, and as important as those things are, don't hear me saying they're not important, but have we focused on those things to the exclusion of the thing that is the focus of God himself, the people that he's calling in to his kingdom? Are we content to look out at this world and see people oppressed by the systems of this world that that we've managed to, to, to work to our own advantage? People left idle with nothing. Are we content to look out there at that and not have compassion on the people? Do we construct narratives? Well, they're in that position probably because they put themselves in that position. Maybe they weren't eager enough to work. Maybe they they didn't muscle their way to the head of the line. Maybe it's their own fault. Maybe, you know, they're being judged for their own wickedness and sin. Do we look on people and judge them and leave them in these places, in these circumstances, in these addictions, in these systems where they will continue to be exploited and oppressed? Or do we have compassion on them and call them into a better kingdom, a better fellowship, a better community where they are freed with us to learn more and more what it means for us to live into what it means to be made in the very image of God? Or do we only call the people that we're comfortable with? Do we only concern ourselves with helping those that are like us, who have easy problems to handle? Are we willing to leave our comfort And like the master of this house, go out into the marketplace with all its commotion and clamor, with all of its dirt and glory and all of its weirdness as the marketplace always is, to go out into those places and seek those people and not just wait for them to come to us. Do we, in our lives, reflect God's own deep, concern and care for people such that he is willing to call them in all the time. Come, be a part of something new. When I was in campus ministry, not as a campus minister, but as a student, my campus minister said, I'm going to teach you the three eyes of evangelism. I think I've taught them to you. They're not difficult. Invite Invite, invite, there's the joke, right? But do we? Or do we circle the wagons, if you will? Not knowing what would we do if real sinners came into our midst as if we're not numbered among those. 
do we reflect God's same concern for people? The second thing I want us to consider is this. Consider not just his concern for calling people to himself, but consider God's generosity towards those whom he calls. A day laborer's life hinged on finding a job every day. The poverty line for a family of four in the ancient Near East was about 200 denarii a year. And if you consider that 52 days of the year were Sabbaths and they weren't allowed to work, you work in days where they didn't get hired or days where they were sick or days where they had to travel to the job or days where they got cheated out of what was owed to them or what, like getting to 200 days wasn't a given. And even if you did get 250, 300 days of work, I mean, you're just over the poverty line. And so when the master of the house lines these guys up and pays them so ridiculously, we're supposed to be shocked. We're supposed to be left wondering what kind of idiotic businessman, to put it kindly, conducts his affairs this way. Boy, those guys lucked out. Like, it's supposed to be shocking to us. The day laborers listening to Jesus would have been like, what? I never in my life have seen that happen. And the way he goes to, like, great lengths, like, he makes a whole production of it. Like, he lines them up, like the Partridge family or something, and just, like, let's, we're going to pay the guys who were here the latest. We're going to pay them a denarius. What's going on? Everybody, everybody's paying attention now. Why? Why would he do it? Because he wants people to see. He wants his workers. He wants his manager. He wants everybody who's got eyes to see what kind of master he really is. He's a generous one. Abounding in kindness and generosity. Giving freely to people who didn't earn it and didn't deserve it. Even for those who complain, he goes out of his way to be kind to them. He calls them friend. I mean, these are day laborers. These are nobodies compared to the master of a house who owns his own vineyard. But he looks at them with kindness and generosity and says, friends, let's let's think about this for a minute. Let me walk you through how we got to this point. He was generous even to those, calling them to work. Paying them a fair wage. Treating them with respect. Look at how generous it is. And it ought to leave us shocked and reeling. What kind of God is this? We read earlier in the service this passage from Ephesians 2 that says, God being rich in mercy. It's so easy to just gloss over that. Like, what what does that mean? I'm so struck by how we are just numb to money. Like, it's all credit cards and electronic trends. Like, I've never seen 
$10,000 in cash, much less $100,000 in cash. Or I'm not even sure you could fit it in a briefcase. Like, what is a million dollars in cash? I mean, I've seen it in the movies, but it's all fake money in the movies. Like, I've never seen it. What would I be like if somebody handed me a duffel bag or a briefcase, or maybe it's a pallet, I don't know, of a million dollars in cash? Like, what would I do? Would I clutch it? Would I hide it? Would I invest it? Would I stuff it in the mattress? Like... I mean, the first thing on my mind isn't who would I give it to. But God, who is rich in mercy, can't wait to give it. Because he's generous. How do we how do we take God's generosity for granted? How do we become numb to it? I mean, are we like the child at the dinner table who's choked down a bunch of spinach and is expecting dessert as a reward? As if we've done something special and now we're owed? Do we think about God and talk about God the way these grumblers did? Like... You've made them equal to us. We've done so much for you, God. Look at us. Have we forgotten his kindness to call us into his family to begin with? To call us into his kingdom? To call us into fellowship with him? To call us into a, to participate with him in his work of calling people into his kingdom? Have we forgotten his initial kindness? Have we started thinking, why them? Instead of constantly wondering, why us? What is it that God saw in me? And the answer is nothing. The answer is, what do we see in God who abounds with such generosity and kindness? Have we lost sight of his majesty? Have we started to think of glory, as one theologian has said, as something that you get? That's how our world works. Like, what's on your resume? What's your GPA? What awards have you gotten? What is the glory you've gotten? But God has all the glory. He is rich in glory. He is rich in mercy. He is rich in all of these things, rich in love. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He needs nothing from us. There is not some deep-seated insecurity in the heart of God that's like, what I really need is a family. He is all goodness and glory and fellowship in and of himself. And he doesn't think of glory as something to get, but he gives it. He gathers people and he names them with his name. He makes them a part of his kingdom. He pours out mercy and grace on others with generosity. Have we become numb to what our king is like? Not like those feudal lords of old who allowed us to live on the land if we gave them what they deserved. But a God who gives and gives and gives and gives. Consider God's concern for calling people 
to himself and his rich and abundant generosity toward those same people he calls. The last thing I want us to consider is this. Consider God's utter and complete disinterest in worldly expectations. These earlier workers were absolutely appalled with what this master is doing. Like, first they're eager, like, oh, we're, we're in for a, a huge payday. We might could take tomorrow off because we're going to get a bonus. And then when they get what was agreed to, they are appalled. For honest, sometimes I wonder if we don't think that way. We see the sorts of people who profess Christianity and we're like, no, maybe God's going to exalt me to a higher place. Oh, we would never say it out loud. I went on a mission trip to Mexico years ago, and there was some business that I still needed to attend to back in the States, and so I called my cell phone plan uh, to see if there was a, something I could add to it so I could still use my cell phone in Mexico. And I talked to the representative, and they had a great plan that was almost better than the plan that I was almost that I was already on. Like I could go to Mexico and make calls cheaper than I was making them from the States, just about. So I signed up and I called Tracy every day. I let everybody no, don't use your use mine. It's 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 an incredible deal that I've got. And I get back and I got a bill for hundreds and hundreds of dollars at a rate that was not what we had discussed. And so I call and they're like, we don't know what plan you're talking about. And I'm like, oh, what? Have I been scammed? I was like, before you charge me this and before you keep talking about all, like, we don't have this sort of plan, go back to the recording of the conversation that, that you and I both know that you have and tell me you did not sell me a plan where I could do this. And sure enough, if they didn't call me back 10 minutes later, you're right. We're sorry. We had agreed to it beforehand. Like, it didn't matter. We had an agreement. The master looks at these grumbling workers and said, how have I wronged you? Didn't we agree to this beforehand? Weren't you excited to work for me? Weren't you saying to yourself, oh, yes, we got a job. Didn't you think a Daenerys was reasonable? Didn't I pay you? I didn't cheat you out of it at the end. Did I wrong you in any way at all? Or have you set your sights on claiming what's not yours? See, they had an opportunity here. An opportunity that they utterly and completely missed. They could have seen this landowner, this vineyard owner, this master of a house, Paying people who had worked an hour, three hours, four hours, paying them exorbitant wages, being kind and generous to keep going out and hiring these people. They could have looked at that master and said, what kind of master is this? I want to work here tomorrow. He treats us fairly and justly and generously. Like they saw a part of who he was, his character and his generosity, and they had an opportunity to attach themselves to him. 
But they grumbled and had designs against him instead. And so the master says, look, you can take your pay and leave. You don't have to stay. You don't have to work for me. You don't have to be a part of what's going on. But this is my house. This is my kingdom. And it's going to operate according to my rules. And my rules, the economy that the kingdom of God operates under. That's all economy means, house rules. The economy that the kingdom of God operates under is an economy of grace. It's not about what you deserve. It's not about what you think you're owed. It's not even about what you want. It's about who our God is and how eager he is to have us be a part of what he's doing. What do we think would be fair? I mean, if, if we're really thinking about it, let's just, let's just get, like, what would really be fair? God, look at all the stuff that we've done for you. Look at all the people we've ministered to. Look at all the money we've given to missions. Look at all the small groups we've attended. Look at all the boring sermons we've nodded our heads to from this pastor. Like, it's a work of ministry, Lord. What do we think would be a fair response to that? Like if God were to line us up and judge us according to our deeds, what would be fair recompense? If you understand what Scripture teaches, you understand this. If left to ourselves, if left to our own works, we are dead in our sins. We have nothing to offer God. What is fair recompense for all of our deeds is eternal torments and alienation from God. And we don't like to hear that because we like to think that our evil, the evil and wickedness in our hearts, is a little bit less evil and wicked than all the other evil and wickedness out there. But evil is evil, even if it's yours. But what we hear about in this parable is a God who seeks those kind of people out and brings them in. We read in the scriptures of a God who took on the form of a man and made himself a servant, put himself in our place, made himself a day laborer, and bore in his body all the wages of sin that we have earned. That we might stand before God, not as his equal, but as his beloved children. As members of his household. As priests in his kingdom. God's economy upends the way the world thinks about things. The last will be first, and the first will be last in the kingdom of God because it operates on an economy of grace. God is interested in calling people, no matter who they are or what they've done, into his household. 
He might pour out upon them the generous blessings of God that we might be welcomed and made a part of what he's doing out in this world. And if we stop and consider this for a moment, truly, deeply consider this, we ought to be left appalled and shocked and dumbfounded that this is the way our God is. And thankful. And grateful. And full of wonder that this is the way our God is. Think about this for me, with me. Today, meditate on this. How will you be shocked and surprised by God's generous grace? How will you unlearn the ways that you have become numb to it? How will you unlearn the ways that you take it for granted? How will you unlearn the ways that that you start to grumble against what God is doing and to look down on the very people that he is calling into his kingdom? How will you unlearn these things and be so shocked and surprised by the grace of God that it wakes you up from that slumber and teaches you to live reflecting that same generosity and grace to others. And then how will God use you to surprise other people whom he calls with the character and generosity and mercy and grace of his eternal kingdom. May God shock us and surprise us with his grace today. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, wake us up from a slumber, Lord, that tempts us to grumble against your kindness and generosity. Wake us up, Lord, from a self-righteousness that allows us to look down on others or to rule them out. Shock us and surprise us, O Lord, with how your kingdom operates, not according to the principles of this world, but according to your character. That, Lord, we might reflect less and less of the world's character and more and more of yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.